You're listening to WERALP, Arlington, Virginia, 96.7 FM, streaming and on demand at WERA.FM. Coming to you from the studios at Arlington Independent Media, I'm your host, Lynn Borton, and this is Choose to be Curious. Welcome. This is the 50th episode of Choose to be Curious, the 50th chance to make the case for curiosity as our default option, as our preferred way to show up in work and life, as the choice we make in every moment of every day. And it dawned on me this was a chance for me to walk my talk. I should spend a chunk of time, say 50 hours, choosing to be curious and report back, maybe extract some lessons to share. So here I am. 50 hours is my shorthand for a weekend, specifically in this case, 5 p.m. Friday, February 16th, through 7 p.m. Sunday, February 18th, during which I was intentionally, deeply, consistently, persistently curious. I did sleep. I did grocery shop and run other errands typical of one's ordinary weekend. But I tried to do it all while being actively curious. Add a few ground rules. Everything had to be free and accessible. I had to go places I had not been and talk to people with whom I might not otherwise have spoken. And when I wasn't actively visiting and talking, I had to be consistently and persistently curious anyway. So lots of looking and listening. And I had to have fun. I was paying attention all the time. And it was fun all the time. In The Phantom Tollbooth, my favorite book of all time, Norton Juster writes, What you learn today, for no reason at all, will help you discover all the wonderful secrets of tomorrow. That was the spirit in which I was undertaking this weekend. Obviously, the first thing anyone is curious about when it comes to weekends is the weather. So I reached out to Chuck Bell, meteorologist with Storm Team 4. (laughs) It's unfortunately going to rain this weekend. Unfortunately, and a cold rain at that. And what piques a meteorologist's curiosity, I asked? And where might the rest of us go to learn more? I was an inquisitive first grader. Uh, Literally, uh, April 4th, 1974, I was at the uh, end of my first grade year, and I was growing up outside of Atlanta, and the largest tornado outbreak in U.S. history occurred April 3rd, 4th of 74. 144 tornadoes over a 24-hour period. Uh, and the 128th tornado took a piece of the roof off of my elementary school. And that got while your we were attention. It, <laughs> it got my attention. We were out of school for a week while they fixed it. And, yeah. you know, as a six-year-old, anything that gets you out of school for a week gets your interest. I've just always been a, a weather fanatic, and I thought I was the only one like that until I uh, I picked the University of Oklahoma for college. And I showed up in a room full of people, and they were all the one-off out of all of their high schools. Oh, I was the one weather nerd at my high school, and I was the one weather nerd at mine. <laughs> Honestly, one of my favorite websites is from Penn State University. And if you were to just type into your browser, Penn State, and then the letter E, wall, Penn State E-Wall, it stands for the Electronic Map Wall. Uh, and it, it's absolutely free, and you can go on there and you can see some examples of what we're looking at for forecast models. There's four or five different models that you have access to there, and you can really see what we're up against. You know, what if the European says it's going to be all rain and the American model says it's going to be all snow? And, you know, so what do you do? You know, there's a lot of decision-making that goes into the forecast, which is, you know, you have to not only communicate what you think will happen, but you also have to communicate, you know, what may not happen. 
the one thing I love most about meteorology is it is a very young science. So as a result, it's a place where curiosity lives because it's impossible to know everything. Because you can't ever know everything, you are constantly having to use your imagination and use your, you know, three-dimensional critical thinking skills and then put it to put it put it to essentially an applied science use. I, I just I love meteorology because it just it's a science full of unknowns and unknowables. Right. Well, at least I know to not only take my curiosity with me this weekend, but my galoshes and umbrella as well. <laughs> Don't you worry. It'll be, it'll be June, hot and humid before you know it. <laughs> I and he so. was right. I woke to rain on Friday. And you may recall that was the weekend that we had rain, sun, snow. And two days later, it was 75 degrees, just like it was June before we knew it. But that was all in anticipation of my 50 hours. 5 p.m. Friday kicked things off officially. And happy hour seemed like the perfect place to start my weekend of choosing to be curious. So I headed around the corner to the brew shop on Wilson Boulevard, a woman-owned business that was hosting a beer tasting. Co-owner Julie Drews took some time to talk with me. I'll give credit where credit's due. My husband's a home brewer. Beth's husband's a home brewer, my business partner, Beth. Uh, they started homebrewing first. It, it was a hobby that started to take over my house, where just equipment everywhere, beer everywhere, and I eventually decided I got to figure out what this is about. So I started homebrewing as well. Um, Beth did also. So we met at work, and we used to do quad brew days, where we all four of us brew something different. So we'd have two going on the stove, two going outside. <laughs> Um, just by the end of the day, we had four different beers. Uh, so we were sitting around one day, probably just drank too much beer, and said, we should open a homebrew shop, and started looking into it, doing the market research on demographics in this area, what's here, what's not here, and decided, you know what, it makes a lot of sense to be a bottle shop as well. And what, I'm here for a beer tasting, so what should I be curious about as I'm tasting? Yeah, the thing I always hope people are curious about is just stepping outside of their comfort zone. It's just... You know, you think you you don't like IPAs or you do only like IPAs, and there's just so much breadth. And even within the IPA category now, there's so much breadth um, just within that. So you might, when someone asks me, you know, what IPAs do you have or I want a good IPA, I have to ask them a more detailed question to get them the right beer because it's it's a huge category of the craft beer market, um, but there are also many other categories. So I always encourage people to step outside their comfort zone on what they think they want to drink or don't drink and just, you know, try something. Even if you don't need to buy a six-pack of it, try a little bit off our growler line, come to a tasting and try it and see, you know, maybe there are styles out there that you didn't even think about that you turns out you like. I think this uh, IPA is very balanced, really good nose on it. It just tastes great. Just a good sipping IPA for a hot day or mowing the lawn or watching babies, you know, whatever you got to do. So what do you think of it? I really like it. I don't really like IPAs that much. I'm actually pretty excited about the honey, but this is a good one because it doesn't, like, punch you in the gut with hops like a lot of, a lot of IPAs tend to do. What do you think of the beer? I liked it. I particularly liked the last one. Oh, yeah. The um, pepper stout. Yeah. yeah, and I was actually sort of surprised about that because I'm not typically a, a stout fan. Yeah, <laughs> yep. That's <laughs> so your point, right? So if people decide that they are curious about beer, where can they get more information? Yeah, um, for homebrewing, the American Homebrewers Association is a big, uh, it's the nationwide homebrew, biggest homebrew group, and they have huge amount of online resources. Uh, there are homebrew clubs locally. There's one that meets in Arlington just a few blocks away called Grist. All the homebrew clubs have acronyms. So theirs is um, grains resulting in something tasty. 
So Grist is the one that meets just up the street from us. The DC Homebrewers Club is very big as well. And there's one called Burp that is Virginia, Maryland, and DC. I think that's Brewers United for Real Potables. So there's a lot of homebrew um, resources in the area. As far as beer goes, come to a place like this. Also for homebrewing, come to a place like this. You can come in and ask us anything. There's always someone on staff who brews. Um, but places like this where you can do tastings, just keep tasting is really the best way to learn. Um, if you find good beer bars, go in and, and get tasters. And this is me we're talking about. So, of course, I asked for the analogy. How is curiosity like beer? Um, I guess there are just so many layers to beer, and it can be as cerebral as you want it to be, particularly on the brewing side. And the more you dig, the more you'll learn, and there's a ton of science behind it. And I think curiosity is the same way, where you just, it's like an onion, you start peeling it back. And if you really want to get deep in it, you can. And same thing with beer and brewing. You can get as deep as you want or stay as surface as you want. If you just, you know, want to be curious enough to just pick up that bottle and try it, that's great too. But if you want to go even deeper to how did they make that, where did they make that, what can I do that I can make that, um, you can go pretty deep into it. Saturday morning dawn with me lying in bed, listening. I was listening as much to what I didn't hear as what I did. I realized that I no longer knew exactly when the truck comes to empty the dumpster next door, and I wondered how much longer before the lone bird I could hear would be joined by so many others. That was the first lesson of the weekend. In paying attention to what was absent, I felt more present. I found I was listening more deeply and thinking about what I usually hear or don't hear and about the people associated with those sounds and the stories behind them. I felt more connected to all of those things. But I didn't linger long. I had a full day ahead of me. And we walk without knowing why. I'm actually a bit of a history buff, so I'm a little embarrassed to admit that I had never set foot in the Arlington Historical Society's museum on Arlington Ridge Road. In my defense, it has limited hours and I have tried, but this time I was determined and undeterred. Lesson number two, just do it. But before I got to Hume School and the Historical Society, in honor of Black History Month, I paid a visit to the Barry Gallery in the Reinch Library at Marymount University, where there was a small exhibit about James Parks, about whom I knew nothing. And that, of course, was the point. It turns out that Mr. Parks was born enslaved at Arlington House. And when that property was taken over and turned into a cemetery, he stayed on to dig graves. Then, because he'd lived on the property his entire life, in the 1920s, he played an essential role in ensuring its accurate restoration. There was a blown-up reprint of a newspaper spread written about him and framed letters documenting authorization of his burial, but denial of his pension. He wasn't alone in never being compensated for his service to the federal government. At the time, most blacks weren't. Born enslaved on the grounds, he was the first African-American to be buried in a marked grave at Arlington National Cemetery. You can find the marker, Section 15, Grave 2. Mr. Parks showed up again at the Historical Society, among lots of stories about Arlington, and I found myself thinking of Henry Miller, who wrote, 
Everything we shut our eyes to, everything we run away from, everything we deny, denigrate, or despise serves to defeat us in the end. One's destination is never a place, but a new way of seeing things. Lesson three, just what my dad has always said. If you change your point of view, you will see something new. That night, I was off to see something new at the Kennedy Center's Millennium Stage. I've always loved that every evening at 6 p.m., you can see free performances just across the river. But again, I don't get there very often. And again, this time I was determined, which was good because the weather was nasty. Part rain, part snow. It was a mess. I figured at least it would keep the crowds down. Wrong. And if I got there 40 minutes ahead of time, I'd be really early. Wrong. The place was packed. It was the Lunar New Year, Year of the Dog. What better way to celebrate than with the Sichuan Opera? The first performance was not at all what I expected. A lot more belly dancing than I think of as typically Chinese. The kids sitting around me were scandalized by the bare midriffs. I scribbled notes in my program to remind myself to look into the history of traditional dance and costuming in China. Lesson four, curiosity is good for challenging assumptions. But the wonderful evening's signature curiosity was one voiced by the little boy seated behind me. How do they do that? He whispered, mesmerized, as the acrobats did their tricks. The John Lyon VFW Post 3150 on North 19th Street is right around the corner from my house. It has been right around the corner from my house for all the 30 years I have lived here. But I don't think I'd ever been inside. I noticed somewhere that Chanda Chun, a veteran himself, also an immigrant, and a newly announced candidate for Arlington County Board, was hosting an open house at the Post on Sunday morning. It seemed like the perfect opportunity to choose to be curious. So a, a stereotype of these, these veteran posts and organizations is that they're run by and just populated by grizzled old veterans, perhaps from, you know, Korean War or Vietnam War, and to a certain extent it's true. I, I have walked into various posts and, and, and it's been like that. Um, so it is, you know, the reason why I put my time in and, and, and become a member of this post is because of that more youthful membership, if you will, and, and I don't want to be ageist here, but... But that's also part of bridging a generational divide. You know, we now have literally thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of uh, service members who have gone through the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and where are they? And, and so I, 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 they need to also come into these posts. The old traditional post members need to embrace the new generation. And because, it, once again, it's a shared background. It's, just, you know, maybe different conflicts, but we need that. You know, we need, we need these community organizations to survive via new membership. But we also, once again, need to bridge that generational divide. And part of what you've done today is actually invite um, members of the community who might not otherwise come to the VFW to sort of open a conversation and allow people to be curious across right. what might otherwise be a divide. Tell me a little bit about that. 
So increasingly what we're seeing, and they have a word for it, is military-civilian divide in our society. Uh, we have the lowest number of uh, veterans serving in Congress these days. We have increasing amount of the average person on the street not knowing or not having a family member having ever served. And, and, and I think that that hurts us. You know, I'm not saying that everybody needs to serve, and um, that's why we live in a free country. You know, our, our country is here because of, of, of the military. Um, the world is secure and, and the most peaceful it's ever been in generations because of uh, the blood and sacrifice and sweat that has gone into to military service. So I, I want, and we have these places in the community where we can connect, They're right in our, literally right in our backyard. There's residential houses right over here. Um, I believe that we can have that conversation and learn about these different perspectives and different ways people have served, both in and outside of the uniform. So that's, that's pretty much the conversation that I'm trying to spark. So what do you think civilians ought to be curious about across that divide? Well, ask people like, you know, why do you serve? What does it mean to you? You know, after enough rapport has been determined, you know, what did, what, what sacrifice did that entail? Because um, there are people throughout our lives who have, who, have, who have sacrificed for us. We don't even know what they've done. You know, there's an emotional toll. There's a family toll. And I think that it's incumbent on us you know, who have benefited from those sacrifices to know those sacrifices and, and learn and see where we can actually help. Service in itself is curiosity, you know, and, and using military service directly. You know, most, but I had no idea anything about the military before joining. Um, I had never been in the South before. You know, I was sent off to boot camp in South Carolina and, and uh, in Georgia. You know, I grew up in Connecticut. So you know, this Connecticut boy who looks a little different going down South and, you know, whole different culture. So... Stepping into any service role is, is, is the definition or, uh, or expression of curiosity. And then I had the tables turned on me when a reporter from Voice of America asked to interview me about candidates in Arlington. He was curious about how a white woman, not an immigrant and mm, older, felt about candidates who were so different from myself. I thought, isn't that what's so appealing about Arlington? All the differences? 10,000 men Ten thousand men sleeping underneath Virginia skies. My last formal stop of the weekend was at the Metro Micro Gallery, just up Wilson Boulevard, where founder and owner Barbara Januskevich had assembled two of the artists who have, in her words, paid it forward to this little gallery where you can go with your curiosity anytime it's peaked. Uh, my name is Akemi Maegawa. Uh, I just had a uh, show. Mm, give me sun, water, uh, soil, and seed with a little bit of hope. That was a long title of the show, but about the environment and then um, kind of whimsical, childish uh, sculptures included so that any um, small kids can enjoy looking at it, but imagining how world can be or... Um, how to save, you know, talking about the curiosity, this is perfect space to be curious because it's just, you just peek in anytime and it's very convenient and accessible for really regular people. Barbara explained the inspiration for the gallery that is essentially open 24-7.
happens is in my studio practice, the public cannot come in. When I'm painting, I could be up a 15-foot ladder, I could be stretching a canvas, but I thought it was important to have a window on creativity because I'm in an urban setting. This building is basically mixed residential. So you have residents living here, and so I live, work, and play, and we're right off the metro. And I saw lots of traffic going by, and so I took a um, commercial spot adjacent to my studio that was sort of a forgotten space and reinvented it. So I thought about what I could do to reach the public. And I have asked many of um, my younger interns that go to college, you know, do you go to art studio, art galleries? And the answer is, when they go to an art gallery, they're usually intimidated because they don't know what questions to ask. Sometimes the staff people or the docents come off a little bit arrogant, and so they sort of stay away. And I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have a setup, sort of like a discovery station, a place where the public can go, and since this is such an urban area, there's a lot of traffic, and make it so someone could just stumble the gallery and sort of look into the window space and experience art without having the docent, without having a staff explain it to them. Yeah, yeah. my name is Andrea Sibic. I'm an abstract painter. I tell people that yeah. uh, Metro Micro Gallery is a small place for really, really big ideas mm -hmm. because sometimes, sometimes the physical, you know, the physical dimensions actually make it more approachable. Mm -hmm. It's more accessible to people, you know, who are going to see it from the sidewalk, you know, they can, they can take it in, they can kind of, they can understand it. And, mm -hmm. and as the artist, as an artist, it made me really have to curate. I, I always want people to be curious about how something is done. I think we live in a society right now where so many things are mass produced. And I think a lot of people have lost contact with the fact that art in the beginning is is made by human hands and so i always want people to be curious about how how the work was done i tend to build layers within my work so that you can kind of see down in to you know down into the painting and see the construction process and maybe guess at how which layer came first or which came which came later i think that it's a it's a curiosity i always you know i always want people to try to guess or understand or or maybe be able to guess but not quite entirely. So here we had a wonderful example where a storefront, that's what really the micro gallery is, it's a commercial storefront spilling out into the sidewalk and people talking and interacting and it could be music, it could be art, it could be culture, and that's the type of curiosity we want to encourage more of. It, it needs to be part of the community, uh, something that we can enjoy and grow and, and sort of expand upon. When I first announced this idea and invited people to suggest how I might spend my time, I got all sorts of suggestions. Go skydiving, learn a new language, talk with someone with whom you disagree, see art, do art, be art. One person wrote on my Facebook page, Thank you for asking. You've inspired me to think how I might be more curious. And the most common reaction I got in my 50 hours was, Cool, I should do that. Yes. Yes, you should. We live in a remarkably rich community. 
and you don't have to be rich to enjoy it. We are surrounded by heroic and creative stories, and all you have to do is show up and listen. You and I shall meet, we shall meet again. Sunday evening, I headed to a potluck dinner with a dozen women who had served as PTA presidents at Key Elementary School over the course of nearly 20 years. It seemed fitting that I was closing my weekend of choosing to be curious with people who had devoted their time and talents to cultivating and celebrating curiosity in children. You've been listening to WERA 96.7 and our celebration of curiosity. I want to take a moment to ask that if you've enjoyed listening to this program or any of the other offerings here on WERA, please let the county board know how much you value non-commercial community radio and our parent organization, Arlington Independent Media. The current county budget proposal slashes funding for AIM by 20%, a likely lethal blow to this extraordinary community resource. Last year alone, AIM trained more than 900 people so that they can create their own radio and TV programs. AIM embodies Arlington's priorities of civic engagement, technology, culture, diversity. You can sign the petition on the AIM website at arlingtonmedia.org, write to your county board members at countyboard at arlingtonva.us, tell them to restore AIM's funding, and tell a friend, too. Thank you. You can hear all those previous 49 episodes on iTunes, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, and Facebook, all at Choose to be Curious on my website at choosetobecurious.com and streaming and on demand here at WERA.FM. You and I shall meet, we shall meet again. Special thanks to all the people who joined me in this curious adventure. Chuck Bell of Storm Team 4, Julie Drews at the Brew Shop, Chris Cotiza of Licking Hole Creek Craft Brewery, Lauren Holland at Millennium Stage, Chanda Chun at the VFW Post 3150, Barbara Januskevich, Akimi Meigawa, and Andrea Sibic at Metro Michael Gallery, and Todd Daniel with the Walkaways for use of the song Calm Summer Night. Links to all of them on Facebook can choose to be curious. And I'm curious. What would you do in a weekend of choosing to be curious? Let me know. Hashtag 50 hours. I hope you'll join me next time when Dr. Ellen Fox explores the importance of bringing curiosity to ethical dilemmas. Big questions about value. Until then, choose to be curious. Funding for Choose to be Curious on WERA 96.7 FM is provided in part by the Center for Parents and Teens, where families are strengthened through a connection built through positive communication, mutual understanding, and realistic expectations of one another. For more information, visit www.centerforparentsandteens.com.